I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations. Will Republicans retake the Senate in 2014? What will happen in the House? What's the latest in 2016 presidential politics? People who want to stay ahead of the curve in politics turn to our good friends at the Cook Political Report for answers. For more than 30 years, Charlie Cook and his team have nailed the nation's most important election outcomes and political trends. CBS News' Bob Schieffer calls the report, quote, the Bible of American politics. Nate Silver says few have, quote, a longer track record of success. If you make it your business to know politics, you need to subscribe to the Cook Political Report. Head over to cookpolitical.com slash political wire. That's cookpolitical.com slash political wire to sign up today. And now to our conversation. It's been more than a year since six-term U.S. Senator Carl Levin of Michigan announced he was calling it quits. Like other Democrats, Levin made his decision early, giving his party the chance to choose its best candidate and build a lead. While they might have their candidate, Michigan Democrats don't have a big lead, if any lead at all. As the battle for U.S. Senate shapes up as the midterm 2014 big prize, we travel to Michigan. With the country's largest municipal bankruptcy and new and lower tax revenue projections, voters may more likely be focused on a balanced budget than a balanced Congress. But combined with a compelling governor's race, an unbelievable blunder by a 25-term U.S. congressman, and the retirement of a 29-term U.S. congressman, Michigan becomes a key place to visit. And if you want to go inside Michigan, you go to Inside Michigan Politics, the must-read report that analyzes the Wolverine State's politics and policy. Susan Demas is the publisher and editor. Susan, thanks for joining me. You know, as I was checking Michigan's nickname, I'm from uh, Illinois, and somehow I didn't quite know exactly what Michigan's nickname was. I saw it's called the Wolverine State and the Great Lake State. I thought the Wolverine State sounded better, but uh, in (laughs) retrospect, folks from Michigan State University can't like that too much. Um, is that going to uh, go over, not go over very well? Am I now in big trouble in Michigan? No, I, I think you're fine. It's pretty well known. I'm, I'm actually an Illinois native as well. So I've kind of had to uh, navigate that divide with uh, all the different nicknames as well. Uh, you can always go with Minton State for the shape of the state. That's nice and safe. Oh, that's true. Okay, maybe maybe I'll go with that. And and what could make more sense than you know two folks from Illinois talking Michigan politics? It, it seems perfectly <laughs> obvious, doesn't it? There you go. So yeah. let, let's start. I guess if you know we're going to start with the. Big one. Let's start with the Senate race. It wasn't a huge surprise that Carl Levin stepped down. It was obviously something that was being considered. But how would you judge um, how Democrats have done in the time since his announcement? It was uh, a year ago, March. Um, How prepared are they for this November? Well, I think they did settle on a good candidate, uh, Congressman Gary Peters, who represents Detroit and some of the uh, suburbs out there. But he's not known for being a barn burner on the campaign trail. Um, He has been a good fundraiser, but certainly doesn't have the wealth of his opponent, uh, Republican Terry Lynn Land, who's a former secretary of state and is a very good fundraiser. So um, they're prepared, but the polls are very close. And there's a reason why this is such a hotly watched race across the country. And we've already 
been seeing nonstop campaign commercials since about the beginning of the year. Yeah, they're they're really picking up, and I, I want to ask you about those, and also some new money that uh, apparently is coming coming into the race and coming into the ads uh, from from uh, Harry Reid's pack. But w- why is the race so close? Tell tell me about. It. I mean, when I look at the two of them, they they seem to have such unbelievably different backgrounds, or at least certainly unbelievably different outlooks. W- why is the race so close? Well, I think that. Gary Peters has the institutional advantage because Michigan has gone blue in federal elections pretty consistently for a couple decades. Yeah, the last six last six presidential elections I saw all uh, Democratic, and and interestingly, the five immediate before that were Republican. So, but but yes, to your point, it's been blue presidentially uh, for the last six decades. And uh, excuse me, last six elections. Sorry. Right. And we haven't had a, a Republican in the U.S. Senate since 2000 with Spencer Abraham. Yep. Uh, so I think he has the advantage there. Obviously, he has the nod from Carl Levin, who is an institution in Michigan for good reason. But Terry Lynn Land uh, was able to clear the field with her fundraising. Um, that worked to her advantage. She doesn't have a messy primary situation to contend with. And she has raised more money than people thought. It's also, you know, she has a built-in advantage, I believe, because it does look like it's going to be a good year for Republicans nationally. And so she gets some of the bump for, you know, people being uh, not so enamored with Obamacare and with the president who's in his sixth year, which is never a good place to be for his party. And so uh, let's talk about how th- those aspects are viewed in Michigan. Talk to me about the view on Obamacare, the view of Obama, and is the national money really starting to come in? Uh, you know, Harry Reid's pack is putting money in. Have the Koch brothers been there? Um, what's the view in Michigan? Yeah, uh, most of the spending has been from outside right now. Uh, the uh, Americans for Prosperity, which is uh, affiliated with the Koch brothers, they've ad- advertised very heavily against Gary Peters, definitely given Terry Lynn Land a boost. Um, I do hear that that Senate majority pack is going to come in with the cavalry for Gary Peters. And I think we can anticipate a whole bunch of groups. Um, there will be business interests on Terry Lynn Land's side. Maybe some Tea Party groups for Gary Peters, the unions, Planned Parenthood, some environmental groups. Um, I, I really do think that this will be a $20 million race, at and, least. You know, obviously, for those of us outside of Michigan, you know, we hear a lot, you know, as we do around the world about the Detroit bankruptcy. We hear about the, you know, the decline that had been occurring in the automotive industry. There had been some comeback in Michigan. And now, you know, maybe there's there's a little bit of a blip on the, you know, in the economy, the tax revenues might be coming in lower. How, how do things stand, you know, kind of business versus labor, um, income inequality, just the sense of it, because when I look at these two candidates, you know, um, uh, on the Democratic side, I mean, he, he's, you know, he's an Occupy Wall Street guy, and Land was out canvassing for Gerald Ford in the 70s. I mean, they, they really seem to come from opposite sides. Which one is more in tune with how uh, folks in Michigan are feeling? Well, you know, I do have to say Gary Peters comes from an investment banker background, which Republicans have actually tried to use against him because um, investment bankers is especially after 2008, were not very popular. 
Um, so he is somewhat more middle of the road than perhaps he's been portrayed. Um, if you look at the way that he has campaigned for his first congressional seat back in 2008 when he was in a swing district and had to knock off a Republican, uh, he really towed the moderate line. Uh, when he had to run for election 2012, uh, he was slotted in a more heavily Democratic seat. And so then his rhetoric became more liberal. So he's a bit of a chameleon. Um, but they do have very different backgrounds. I mean, he's from Southeast Michigan. Uh, he served in the military, um, been a, a state legislator. Terry Lynn Land is from the west side of Michigan, uh, very different culture there than from Detroit, um, much more conservative, comes from a business-oriented family. Uh, her family is steeped in real estate out there and very well known. And she was able to successfully run for secretary of state as a local clerk um, back in 2002 and easily won re-election in 2006 and has always had very good name ID and been very well liked. And the view, um, the, the view on Peters, his investment banking background, at the same time, if I understand correctly, he was, you know, he helped write um, the, the, the legislation, the uh, Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act. So is he, you know, kind of how is he viewed? Is he viewed more, you know, aggressive against the, the financial firms? Or do they think that, well, no, he, you know, he, he, he's a former investment banker, so he understands the financial world. And so he was brought in to write this, but he's not necessarily viewed um, as an enemy of Wall Street or as an enemy of big business. Well, I, I think Republicans have, have tried to argue both that Gary Peters is, is too cozy with Wall Street and too much of an enemy of big business. You know, it depends on what argument, you know, fits <laughs> which campaign. Um, and so I, I think overall the impression that voters have of him in Michigan is that he's not a fiery liberal. Um, you know, certainly he doesn't stand out as much as a John Conyers who, as you talked about, has had so many issues just getting getting on the ballot and is really known as, as a very liberal member of Congress. Um, but in, in this campaign, I, I think that Republicans will probably go more with the idea that he's hurting the recovery that we've seen in Michigan and that he is anti-business. Why did so many prominent Republicans uh, decline to run for the seat? I mean, I was kind of going through the list and you've got, you know, former attorneys general, former representatives, um, you know, former lieutenant governor, uh, you know, a couple of Romney names thrown in there. Why, why did they land on land and why did so many others uh, decline or pull out? Well, I think that um, U.S., Representative Mike Rogers, who uh, is, made the surprise announcement a couple months ago that he's not even running for re-election, he was widely viewed as Republicans' best bet. And he took a pass on it, I think, largely in part because 2014 at that time was not looking like the blockbuster Republican year that a lot of people are now predicting. Uh, and he had a very safe perch in Congress. Um, and I, I think that that goes for a lot of other prominent Republicans, uh, Congressman Justin Amash. They didn't see this as being that winnable of a seat. Terry Lynn Land, who at the time was Michigan's national committee woman, was in a position where, you know, she didn't have anything to lose as far as her current position in running. Uh, she had the ability to self-finance. 
And I think that she was able to convince people that she was the best bet and uh, keep some of the lesser names out of the race that could have been a distraction. And is she running uh, closer than folks expected? I mean, when once Rogers pulled out, um, did, what did folks think would happen with Land? And and is the race running closer than uh, than people might have thought? It definitely is. I mean, privately, Republicans were telling me at the time, well, you know, maybe we can get the Democrats to spend some money here. But, you know, with Terry Lynn Land as our candidate, yeah, chances are Gary Peters, you know, has a, a great shot at this. But I think the national mood has changed. I think that Land has changed a lot of minds with the money she's raised. And I think Gary Peters has made some missteps. I mean, he's had some flip-flops on his Obamacare votes. Um, I think that he's not the most aggressive campaigner, and he's been able to let her in the door. Um, I will say that uh, the polls have definitely gone a little more in his favor in the last couple months. But, you know, this race is still within, I would say, four to six points, and it's very close to the margin of error. What's been the tone of the advertising? Well, the advertising has has really come from the outside, and the dominant advertising has come from Americans for Prosperity. So they've been hitting hard on Obamacare. And um, a lot of the ads have gotten national attention uh, with so many fact-checking sites. And so um, they've had a few people who have said that they've been very hurt by Obamacare and, um, you know, that it's all Gary Peters' fault. And those, you know, those those single camera ads where it's focusing on a real person, uh, that's a pretty powerful message. And are folks focusing land, um, I guess, has endorsed the Medicaid expansion, um, but is calling for the complete repeal of uh, um, the Affordable Care Act. How, how, are, how are Republicans feeling about her stand um, on Obamacare? Is she carrying the flag the way they would like? Well, you know, she has uh, kind of used some muddled language. Um, at one point, she did say, well, we're probably not going to be able to repeal it. Um, then she got flack and she went back and said, no, we absolutely have to repeal it. This is awful. Um, but those missteps, especially early on in the campaign, um, are not going to be fatal. And I think Republicans have taken on an era of pragmatism. I mean, certainly uh, the Tea Party is a factor here and they would like exact purity on everything. But I think they understand that winning a U.S. Senate seat for the Republican Party would be a huge win for them. It would probably mean that control of the Senate had flipped if you can win a seat in Michigan. And so even if Terry Lynn Land may not go as far as they would like on some issues, just having her in the Senate would make a huge difference. And on the Tea Party, is it is it inside Michigan Tea Partiers or how prominent are they? How much of a voice do they have? Or is it uh, Tea Party members um, and, and perhaps uh, Americans for Prosperity or, or other groups outside of Michigan that, uh, you know, are, are smelling blood where they didn't expect to, uh, to, to smell any? Well, I think a lot of it is from outside Michigan, especially with Americans for with Prosperity. Money, yes. yeah. 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 And, and you know, taking such a, a frontline role there. Um, the Tea Party has definitely gotten quieter in Michigan as it has in other places. Um, there's not the enthusiasm that you saw in 2009, 2010. Um, and, and a lot of their focus for the grassroots here has been more on state issues, um, state lawmakers, 
Governor Snyder is not always their favorite person, even though he's certainly um, signed a lot of their agenda. And so I think their fr- it, any frustration they feel is is more directed at the state level at this at this point. Okay, so let's move to some of the uh, state races, and we'll get to governor in a second, but I I, I can't pass up Congress. Um, If a six-term, you know, U.S. Senator Carl Levin, if that's a big number, that that ain't nothing compared to how long Conyers has been in in office and Dingell has been in office. Let's start with Conyers. Um, How did he fail to get enough signatures to qualify for the ballot? Well, that is the million-dollar question, isn't it? And he's probably going to spend <laughs> upwards of that amount to try and get on the ballot. He has a very good election attorney here, John Peerage. Um, you know, something that got overlooked in 2012 as all nationalized were on Michigan for another um, petition snafu with then-Congressman Thad McConnor, a Republican from suburban Detroit, um, is that Conyers only turned in about 1,050 signatures in 2012. Um, and a lot of people believe that he was probably short then as well if you had taken a, a little more scrutiny to those signatures because, you know, usually quite a few of them are thrown out in the process. That's why you get double the amount that you need. So he's had issues with staff work before, and uh, he his, his staff um, – you know, he has been in, in office for um, about a half a century. Yeah, nearly and 50 years. Had a lot of turnover, and clearly he did not have his eye on the ball when it came to just this basic function. And how are people reacting? Are, are they feeling like, you know, that you, you are a bonehead? Are they feeling <laughs> bad? Are they feeling like, well, this is evidence, you know, you might have been in office too long? Or, you know, are folks worried about losing such a senior member of Congress? I mean, founder of the Congressional Black Caucus, second longest serving member. I mean, what's been the reaction there? It, it All of those things are part of the mix. The reaction has been all over the place. I, I think that most people do see this as a tragic, uh, likely end to a very storied career. I mean, John Conyers is the only person to have served on two impeachment panels. Um, that's um, something that hopefully we'll never see again. Um, but at the same time, uh, Anyone who lives in Michigan and and probably many people in Washington know that uh, there have been rumors about his health for a long time, you know, and and questions if he was up to the job. And and having a snafu like this seems indicative of the fact that he's not on top of his game. Uh, But, you know, the alternative is not really desirable to a lot of people. The only other Democrat in the race is the Reverend Horace Schockfield III. Uh, who um, was arraigned on domestic violence charges not too long ago and has his own personal issues. And so um, perhaps if there were other alternatives on the ballot, uh, people would be uh, a little harder on Conyers, but it, it would be very hard to find people who feel that Sheffield would be a worthy replacement of him. Possible for Conyers to go with the write-in campaign? I could see that. Uh, potentially, he could file as an independent, and that would really shake things up because straight ticket voting in Detroit is very important for Democrats here. So let's go from the second longest serving congressman to the longest serving congressman in the U.S., uh, John Dingell. He's not going to run for office again, um, but his wife is. Tell me about that. 
Yes. Debbie Dingell is a Democratic National Committee woman. She serves on a university board and uh, is is a political power in her own right. Um, you know, the name Dingell is known in Washington, not just for John, but for Debbie as well. And so she's in a heavily Democratic district. It's about 66 percent Democratic. So she faces no real opposition in her primary so I, I think the odds makers would say that the name Dingle will definitely be living on in the next Congress. And it's amazing. I guess I read where it would mark the first time in history that someone has directly succeeded a living spouse in either legislative chamber. Is that, you know, historical component coming into play? Are folks aware of that? Is it, is it you know, important or, or attractive? Or is that kind of beside the point and uh, folks are just trying to think, OK, who do we want to be our next U.S. congressperson? Yeah, I mean, I think that when it comes to the Dingle name, people are very aware that there is a, a lengthy history. And, you know, with, with Congressman Dingle breaking first the record for the longest serving House member and then breaking uh, Senator Byrd's record for the entire Congress, um, this is just one more record for the Dingle name. Let's let's close then, Susan, with the governor's race. Um, how is that race standing? Republican Governor Rick Snyder is facing Mark Schauer. Um, Snyder, of course, uh, um, you know, one of the few state, you know, statewide Republicans. I mean, you had mentioned it hasn't you haven't had a, a U.S. Senate uh, vote go Republican there since uh, um, Abraham. Uh, what's the view on Snyder? And uh, this race may be running a little bit. I guess I saw recently some of the polls um, maybe showing a bit more of a spread. But but for a while was this running a little bit closer than expected or uh, are all bets on Snyder? Well, I would definitely think that people are betting that he'll win a second term. But the polls are, you know, definitely within striking distance for Shower. He was definitely aided by the Democratic Governors Association, putting in about a million dollars for ads for him, got his name idea up a little bit. Um, but Shower is at a huge disadvantage financially. Governor Snyder obviously has his own wealth and is able to draw upon a lot more donors. And I think we will see outside spending for this race as well. Now, you wrote uh, just today, I believe, on uh, MLLive.com about Governor Rick Snyder, and he may not love everything that you wrote, um, which included uh, – uh, I'm quoting you, when Rick Snyder was running for governor four years ago, one of his biggest appeals was his pledge of transparency and data-driven decisions. Unfortunately, his promises have repeatedly failed to live up to reality since he was elected. What's gone wrong? Well, you know, Governor Snyder won by almost 20 points. And in a state like Michigan that leans Democratic or is at least a purple state, you've got to win over the independents and the Democrats. And he successfully did that four years ago. And I, I think part of that was taking a more nonpartisan approach and promising that rather than just doing the bidding of any one political party, he was going to make the best decisions for Michigan based on the evidence. Um, unfortunately, there have been a lot of instances where that's been called into question. He really emphasized transparency, but he's had this nerd fund, which is, a, you know, a private uh, political action committee, and he won't disclose the donors. It's been funding some of his top advisors. Um, he's been fighting through the courts with the Detroit bankruptcy to keep emails from being disclosed. I think that stuff has come as a, a bit of a disappointment to some of his 
fans who weren't members of the Republican Party. Um, and, you know, some of his decisions, um, people have questioned whether he's really following the evidence with some of his education reforms where they haven't really lived up to the promise. We've been making these changes in Michigan, trying to get failing schools to turn around, but you know, it, the results haven't been there. The test scores haven't been changing. And um, he would like to keep going down this road uh, before I think the results are fully in. So it, there's definitely some some disenchantment there. It, disenchantment and, and perhaps a perception gap. I, I know you just ran a, a poll about this question on, on education. There's a question of whether he has cut funding or not for, for education in the state. I guess first, has he? And then how does that compare? How, do, how does the reality compare with what people in Michigan actually think? Well, yes, he has cut education as far as uh, what goes for uh, per student funding in the state. Now, he has spent more with retirement costs for schools, which is a definite help to the districts themselves. But in terms of what parents are seeing as far as what goes on in the classroom, those cuts are very visible. You know, when your teachers are being laid off and classes are being offered, you know, those results are pretty easy to see. And that's the reason why by a three to one margin, um, voters uh, do believe that Governor Snyder has cut education and that that is a negative for him. Um, you know, it, those those voters, especially um, in the 35 to 60 block, most likely to have kids, uh, really believe that he has cut education. And that's why the Democratic Governors Association has hit on that issue. They do see it as a winner for Mark Schauer. And lastly, on Snyder, um, he really sees himself as a national figure, doesn't he? I mean, he was you know being spoken about as a potential vice presidential candidate in 2012. Um, I think I saw a quote from him uh, somewhere where, where he wants to you know set himself as the example for the Republican Party. Um, is that realistic? Is he a national figure? And, and how do those types of comments get seen uh, within Michigan? I, I certainly think he would like to be seen as a national figure, and a lot of people on his team are pushing for that. Um, whenever you see uh, a Republican governor in particular um, who has had some success, their names always get thrown into the mix. And, of course, we have no idea what 2016 will look like at this point. Um, but, you know, he's had some bumps in the road as well. I think when he was elected um, – a lot of people thought he would be more nonpartisan than he was, and it was only uh, a little more than a year ago that our state capitol was rocked with protests of about 12,000 people about him signing right-to-work legislation, which, you know, has long been a, a conservative goal. So, you know, he will have to first survive his, his election bid, and then we'll see where his name goes nationally. And just looking forward, Susan, Michigan has been through extremely tough times. I mean, of all the states in the country, and, and we all went through, you know, terrible economic times. You know, Michigan obviously went through some of the worst. Where is the state in, in your view in terms of, of a comeback, both kind of both fiscally and emotionally? Well, the emotional part is, is always hard when, when you've been in recession since 2000, um, much longer than most of the country. That's hard to come back psychologically from. Um, obviously, I do think that no one here would want to trade places with 
uh, where we were at back in 2009 uh, when our unemployment was at 14%. But, you know, our business climate has improved. That's a, a definite positive for the governor. Um, he's cut business taxes quite a bit and really worked on that front. Our unemployment is is down at about 7.5%, but we're still the, the seventh highest in the nation, so we have a ways to go. A lot of times it depends on your perspective. You know, for some people, they can really feel the recovery in their own lives. For other people, they're still very nervous about losing their jobs or they're still unemployed. And so uh, we'll have to see whose version uh, comes out based on who shows up in the polls in November. That's a terrific way to put it. It really is true. I mean, it, talk about a, a situation where, you know, where where you stand depends on where you sit. Um, you know, I, on this financial comeback, that's that's got to be the case. Well, much to watch uh, in Michigan financially, uh, psychologically, emotionally, and politically. Uh, a, a hard-fought Senate race, uh, a couple of congressional races, one really crazy with Conyers, and a governor's race of interest. Uh, Susan Demas is the uh, publisher and editor of Inside Michigan Politics. It's the must-read report. It analyzes everything you need to know about politics and policy within Michigan. Susan, thank you so much for taking the time with me. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations.